Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, October 18th. The number of Venezuelan migrants at TJ shelters is increasing. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. California's coronavirus emergency declaration will officially end in February. Governor Newsom said the state has enough resources and plans to manage the pandemic without a formal declaration, which gives the governor power to suspend or change laws. His office said the delay into next year will give the healthcare system flexibility it needs for a winter surge and hospitalizations. The county's emergency rental assistance program was a lifeline for many San Diegans during the pandemic. And now, several months after the program ended, those residents are facing eviction. Earlier this year, San Diego County approved applications for thousands of tenants seeking emergency rental assistance without knowing if funding would be available. The program, which used money from the state and federal government, was meant to cover months up to March 31st. But the county continued to take applications through June. While those months were never guaranteed, residents who applied to the program said that was not made clear and were assured they'd be receiving their aid awards. The Padres are getting ready for their first National League Championship Series game since 1998. But that's not the only victory the city has to celebrate. The National Women's Soccer League Wave FC has also advanced to their league's semifinals. The Wave will face the Portland Thorns in Oregon on Sunday. Meanwhile, the Padres will kick off the best-of-seven NLCS at Petco Park today against the Philadelphia Phillies. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another has it. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcasts and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. Tijuana shelter operators are protesting a new agreement between the U.S. and Mexico that sends deported Venezuelans to Tijuana. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis says Tijuana shelters are already at capacity. Activists in Tijuana burned two piñatas on Monday. One of them was made to look like U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, and the other looked like his Mexican counterpart Marcelo Ebrard. Among them was Sergio Tamay. He says that this agreement is inhumane to Venezuelan asylum seekers, and it also puts pressure on Tijuana migrant shelters that are already over capacity and underfunded. Si Estados Unidos quiere deportarlos, que los deporte directamente a su país de origen, ¿cuánto les cuesta? Tamay says that if the U.S. wants to deport Venezuelans, they should be deported to Venezuela, not Tijuana. But that's easier said than done. 
Unlike most Latin American countries, the U.S. does not have a deportation agreement with Venezuela, so the easiest alternative is to pressure Mexico into receiving them. The activists say they'll continue to protest until the situation changes. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. It's been a year since a teenage girl reported being raped, allegedly by three members of the SDSU football team. None of the accused have been charged. KPBS reporter Alexander Wynn takes a look at where the case stands now. Day by day, that's how the now 18-year-old woman's lawyer Dan Gillian describes his client. Like most survivors of rape are. I mean, she's just trying to... um, get through this um, emotional trauma that she has to deal with every day. Last October 17, the then 17-year-old went to a Halloween party at a house near San Diego State campus. There, she said she was taken to a room in the back and repeatedly raped. The district attorney got the case in August, but no charges have been filed. Gillian says the DA's office is dragging its feet, and his client is not hopeful charges will be filed. But she's really not really expecting much out of the criminal justice system anymore. Alexander Nguyen, KPPS News. A new psychiatric health facility is now on the way in Oceanside, four years after the controversial closure of a psychiatric unit at Tri-City Medical Center. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has the story. In 2018, Tri-City Medical Center closed its psychiatric unit when a change in federal law required some costly renovations. But the closure left a void in the region for people struggling with emergency mental health situations. On Monday, ground was broken for a new 16-bed inpatient facility. Nick Michonne, the director for the county's Health and Human Services, said it was a great day for the region. This is the latest installment of the future of behavioral health care in our county. And it's a key piece of the North County Mental Health Safety Net. The new facility is expected to begin operations next year. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. As the cost of living in San Diego increases, many artists are unable to pursue their passion, needing to take other jobs to pay the bills. But the people behind a new housing development in Vista want to change that by focusing on art and affordability. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has the story. New residential developments pop up everywhere, but this one in Vista has a special focus. What we did here at uh, Paseo Artist Village was to... um, to provide the the resources of a work area for artists as well as a artist gallery along with affordable apartments in one place. Mary Jane Jagodzinski is with Community Housing Works, a nonprofit organization that develops affordable apartment communities in California. While they operate different properties in San Diego, Paseo Artist Village is the only one that is art focused. Many artists get priced out of out of gentrifying areas um, where they can no longer afford to live and the rent. So it's really important to provide um, affordable apartments that um, that that they can remain and be part of the fabric of the community. The village has 60 units, an art gallery, a community room and resources for residents. 
Applications were open to local artists, veterans, seniors, and their families. One bedrooms at the, the lowest level of, of income, um, rent would be about a little over $550 a month. Um, a three bedroom at the highest income rent would be a little more than $1,350 a month. So when you hear of these astronomical rents today, you can see these really are affordable. And affordable living is what Addie Seeley needed to continue creating. I moved back down here from Los Angeles after I graduated from Cal State Long Beach, Go Beach. And um, I was looking for a place as I moved in with my son. And I moved into the garage, which was fine. Um, and then I decided I needed my own space because I couldn't create there. Now in her apartment at Paseo Artist Village, she has the space to create what she pleases at an affordable price. I am on a fixed income. And after I pay the rent and everything else that I'm responsible for, yeah, I might have about 60 bucks left for the month. Um, to include gas and any other things that come up. Celie says creating art is what keeps her busy. She paints, makes glass art, ceramics, and jewelry. But she still has a little doubt in her work. I think every artist goes through a phase where they are not necessarily, I don't know if I want to do this. Uh, no, this isn't good enough. Uh, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And that's, that was me. Seely says that doubt may fade away with the art gallery available to residents. Developers of the property say the project synchronizes with VISTA's revitalization of their arts and culture district. VISTA council member Corina Contreras says she's happy to see a development that is making places for all. I want to see a revitalization continue to happen where we're not displacing people. Uh, that's the most important thing because a lot of people are afraid of gentrification and what the implications are for them and their families and the future of their families. More events and opportunities are on the way at the Paseo Artist Village, including a popular sandwich chain taking on the retail space. Tons of people um, enjoy Jimmy John's and uh, we're going to have the first one here in Vista. San Diego's first Jimmy John sandwich chain is expected to open in Vista next year. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. Coming up, we have details on one of the propositions you'll see on your ballot this fall. We'll have that story next, just after the break. I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, 
and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. This November, voters will decide whether or not to increase arts funding to public schools across the state. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports on what that would mean for one school in the San Francisco Bay Area. When it comes to high-quality arts education, Richmond High senior Angeli Montanza says it's pretty clear all things are not created equal. Like over the years, I've noticed like communities like mine, Richmond High, where it's predominantly brown kids, we don't get the same opportunity as in like Hercules, which is, you know, uh, predominantly Asian kids and white kids. Montanzas plays viola in the Richmond High Advanced Orchestra. The school of 1,500 students is 85% Latino. Parents, students, and teachers have tried, like here in Richmond High and Kennedy, to get the funding that they have. We don't have the money, you know? Many Richmond High families, including Montanzas's, are working class. Like, not many people say, but it's also a race thing. It's a socioeconomic class thing. It's just an issue. The quality of arts education varies from district to district and often depends on where you live. Voters in wealthier communities often raise local taxes to fund arts in schools. Those disparities became even more acute during the pandemic. I had so many principals call me or email me saying that my students have been sitting in front of a screen for a year and a half. They need to sing. They need to move. They need to express themselves. Andrea Lundin heads school partnerships for East Bay Center for the Performing Arts, a community organization that sends part-time arts teachers into schools in Richmond to help fill the gaps. Lundin says there is never enough money or artists, which means lots of kids are missing out. Sometimes kids can't really name exactly what's going on emotionally or mentally, but once they start to move or sing or play an instrument, then there's so much healing that goes on. A measure on this year's ballot could help. Proposition 28 would double the amount of money schools get to about $1 billion annually, locking in a permanent source of funding even during tough budget times when schools tend to cut the arts. And a third of that new money would go to schools serving economically disadvantaged students. At Richmond High, that would mean enough to hire someone to help Andrew Wilkie, who teaches seven periods, runs the marching band and the orchestra, oversees all the instruments, scheduling, transportation. This list actually goes on. I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, I'm, I'm like at rock bottom emotionally. Because not only am I trying to hold all these classes together and teach them all, I'm trying to find money. Schools must use 80% of their money to hire full-time credentialed teachers, which could help get talented artists like spoken word poet Jazz Monique Hudson back in the classroom. I was set to teach this semester, but could not teach in the teaching art program because there wasn't enough funding for the spoken word program. 
Hudson found a new full-time job, but says she would love to be able to return to teaching. There is no official opposition to Proposition 28, but there are those critical of so-called ballot box budgeting, voters tying the hands of legislators by locking in a funding structure that can't be undone when a recession hits, for example. Then there is the accountability piece. Schools would have to create new ways of tracking personnel, which could take time and be a big lift. At Richmond High, student Angeli Montanzas is hoping that's something her orchestra leader, Mr. Wilkie, would be willing to do if it means getting more money in the door. Music really, you know, helped me express how I felt deep inside that I couldn't express with words. And also if I'm just having a hard day, you know, just playing music, like I could just let it all out. Wilkie says it's a job he'll happily take on if he can reach more kids. In Richmond, I'm Julia McAvoy. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.